Welcome to Alphabet Soup, a podcast where we're going to work our way through a wide variety of biblical topics using the alphabet. Our goal, of course, is to understand the Bible better, but we also want to find ways in which Scripture applies to our daily lives. So with that intro, let's get to it. Welcome to This Isn't You For, because I decided to interrupt our regular schedule. I don't know when you're listening to this, because it's the internet and things last forever. It may be years from now, but, but today, as I'm recording this, the biggest, by far the biggest news story is what's going on between Israel and Hamas in the, in the uh, Gaza Strip. It is dominating everything. And it's horrible. It is just flat horrible what's happened. Uh, it's been about, what, I think 10, 11 days now since Hamas launched a surprise attack on Israel on a number of villages and settlements in Israel and killed hundreds and hundreds, they say second only to the Holocaust, Jews in the most horrible ways imaginable. Israel is in the process of responding. They have locked down the Gaza Strip. They are preparing, they say, to uh, move into the Strip and find the Hamas uh, members and deal justice to them. This could get worse before it gets better. Uh, It raises, however, for those of us who are evangelical Christians, a number of significant questions. You've probably thought of them if you consider yourself an evangelical Christian because this involves Israel. So I thought it would be a good idea to talk through some of this. Here's the plan. I am in no sense uh, expert, even knowledgeable about uh, Middle Eastern history, uh, specifically uh, Israel as a nation, uh, as a state, Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. And so uh, prepping for this episode, I did a lot of reading. Now, I had a basic outline in my head, but I wanted to fill in some of the gaps. I'm going to tell you what I've learned And it's very, very possible that I've got some details wrong. If you're very conversant on those details and you're banging your head against the wall, my sincere apologies. I'm I'm doing the best I can. But for those of us who don't want to get lost in the weeds, I'm going to give you a brief outline, uh, uh, what I think is a fairly concise outline that sets the stage, that gives the background for what we're seeing going on now. And what I've done is I've started by, um, I want to talk first about the lands, the geography, then we will talk about the people involved, and then the problem that has led to this conflict. Um, the, the geography is relatively small. I mean, we're talking the size of one of the smaller United States. Uh, let's go through this, though, because it is such a huge problem, despite the small geographical area. And let's look at it through a biblical lens. That's our goal. So I think in part one, depending on how the timing works out, Part one, we're going to lay this background, and then part two, we're going to take a look at the Bible and try to look at the problem through a biblical lens. Okay, the lands. Um, And again, this is oversimplified. I'm sorry. You really, really, really need to have a map in your head. Uh, Go on the internet and just type Israel map or type Israel and then click up at the top if you're using Google search like most of us are. Type uh, images and look at the map, and you will see a strangely shaped country. But you will also probably see, down in the lower left-hand corner, the Gaza Strip. That'll be the focus. 
you will see sort of in the middle um, what is called the West Bank. You may see up at the top, up at the northern border, what is called the Golan Heights. So l- let's talk about the history here of how we come to this. But please, please do go look at a map. I thought about posting one on uh, the uh, Facebook page, but decided against it. I'd, I'd Frankly, I'd rather have you go look at one because I think if you look at one, you'll end up looking at another. And, and by... By going down that path, you'll get a good eye, and it'll it'll be glued in your head. So please do that. Okay, um, World War One, what we call World War One, was supposed to be the war to end all wars. It was terrible. It involved. There's a reason it's called a world war. It didn't involve all the nations, but certainly all the major nations. And uh, again, people died in the most barbaric ways. Uh, this was well before the Geneva Convention, and, and chemical warfare was kind of standard. At the end of World War I, our president at the time, Woodrow Wilson, proposed that the nations should get together and set up a structure so that this would never happen again. It would be the war to end all wars. That's, that's how they termed it. And so the League of Nations was formed in 1920. That turned out to be a massive failure. And in fact, despite the fact our president was the one who proposed it and pushed it along, uh, the U.S. Senate, which has to ratify any treaties, uh, refused to ratify it. So we never joined the League of Nations. I didn't know that until I did some reading. At the League of Nations, where all of these countries, major countries, are gathered together, uh, they agreed that there were some assignments that needed to be done to prevent this from ever happening again. Uh, now, I use the word assignments. I'm, I'm just trying to describe it in very vernacular terms. They called these mandates, and they would say, okay, who wants to take care of this problem? And then who wants to take... And, and people would raise their hand, a country would raise their hand and volunteer. They got down to the one that says, okay, who wants to sort out the boundaries because we think Israel should have... See, at that point in time, there was no nation of Israel. There were Jews scattered all over the all over the world. The... Um, the diaspora. People say that different ways. I'm, I'm not sure ever how to say it. Anyhow, there were Jews spread all over the world, and the nations decided that that Israel, the, the Jews, should have their own land. So we're going to put that in the Middle East because that's where they came from, right? Uh, that's the Old Testament location for them. So who wants, who wants to sort that out and carve out a land for Israel? And nobody's hand went up. And so Whoever was in charge, I have no idea who it was. It might have been Woodrow Wilson and said, Okay, Great Britain, thank you for volunteering for that. And they looked at each other and, Wait a minute, I didn't raise my hand. Did you? It's called the British Mandate because it was a mandate given to Great Britain to figure out what to do with this geographical area and end up giving the Jews a homeland. Um, the British did that. They, they sat down with a map and, and a pencil and sort of roughly drew out borders. Borders that if you've looked online and looked at a map of Israel, you would recognize. It's changed some, but you would recognize the general shape that the British mandate created for a nation, a land of Israel. Um, when they took that to the uh, countries that would be affected by this, The Jews were good with it. They thought, this is great. Well, of course they did, because for the first time in thousands of years, they've got a nation. They've got a land. However, none 
of the Arab nations in that area were at all happy. They now have Jews living in their midst, in the middle of them. Jordan to the east and Syria to the north and uh, Egypt to the south. They They were all furious with this. And immediately hostilities broke out. I mean, the British mandate took effect, right? They created this land, and then they said to the Jews, okay, come on in, you can live here now, this is your land. And as soon as they started showing up, their Arab neighbor states started attacking them. Uh, hostilities. Another crazy thing that happened, I mean, who thought this was going to work? Another thing that happened is when the British got to, to penciling in the line around and, or on Jerusalem, they realized, hey, man, we got a real problem because Jerusalem is holy to the Jews. However, it is also holy to the Muslims. They believe that the same site where Solomon's temple was located is the point where uh, Muhammad ascended into heaven. So for them, that is, it's either the second or third most holy site on earth. What are we going to do? They flipped a coin and it landed on the edge. That is to say, they decided that Jerusalem would be a divided city, that it would be shared by Jews and Muslims. Again, who thought that was going to work? And it didn't. And there were battles between Jews and Arabs from these various nations. Uh, it, it, It was bad. And then things got worse. Because it turns out World War I was not the war to end all wars. Uh, World War II broke out. You probably know, at least I do, know a lot more about World War II than World War I. At the end of World War II, they decided, okay, really, we don't want to do this again. Uh, And the League of Nations didn't work. What can we do? And somebody, I don't know who, came up with something called the United Nations instead of League of Nations. They called it United Nations because that works so much better. Um, and, and what happened, the League of Nations was still in existence. It, it was pretty quiet, obviously, during World War II. Um, however, what they decided to do was basically put all of their paperwork in a box and hand it to the United Nations. Uh, literally, they took all their paperwork, everything they had, all of their notes, all of their documents and everything else, and just handed it to the United Nations and said, okay, we're done. This turned out to be a different verse of the same song. The UN, United Nations, was founded in 1945. In 1947, the United Nations officially did what the British did with the British mandate. Remember I told you it was in pencil, right? It was, and it wasn't working, but the United Nations took basically the outline of the British mandate and said, okay, this is now what it is. This is now formal. And it had the weight of the larger and more powerful and, I suppose, more sophisticated United Nations. It didn't change anything on the ground. The Arabs from the the neighboring countries were still furious and there were still hostilities. Uh, Jerusalem was still a divided city. Okay, go back to your map. And in the uh, Sea of Galilee up north, Jordan River running north to south, and at the bottom, the Dead Sea. Um, that, that distance between the bottom of the Sea of Galilee up north and the top of the Dead Sea at the bottom, that is to say the length of the Jordan River as the crow flies, is 
what got carved out as and is called the West Bank, the West Bank of the Jordan River. So when you hear that term on the news, the, the Jews in the West Bank, the Palestinians in the West Bank, the settlements in the West Bank, that's what it's talking about. Look at that map. And on the map you've looked at, it's probably a different color, tan or green or whatever, than the areas surrounding. So that, this is, this is a terrible visualization, but the nation of Israel is kind of shaped like the letter C, except it's got its, this big point hanging off to the end that I'll explain in a minute. And that carve out that forms the letter C is the west bank of the Jordan River, and it was agreed to give that to the Palestinians. I'll explain the Palestinians when we get to the next section and talk about the who. That was the Palestinians. Now, in the lower left-hand corner, way down at the southwest corner of the nation of Israel, down at the, the bottom left of this sea, is the Gaza Strip. And it's called a strip because it's, it's long and narrow. I mean, it is, it is really very narrow. It's only a few miles wide and a couple dozen miles long. That is also Palestinians. Up north is, is another area that, depending on the map you looked at, may be identified as the Golan Heights. And that's because it's a hilly country. It's relatively flat up there around the Sea of Galilee. But at the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, it starts to rise pretty quickly. And that belonged to Syria. The problem was, remember I said there were hostilities, is that the Syrians then occupied the high ground and they were launching rockets and shells into Israel from the high ground and Israel was pretty much stuck there. Okay, so that's what was going on in 1947. The nation of Israel was officially born. That is their birth date. I don't, I don't remember the month and the day. It doesn't matter. But, but that is, the, uh, in 1947, the United Nations says, okay, here it is. It's now official. We all agree. This is the land of Israel, Eretz Israel. And again, you can imagine how excited the Jews were to have a land. They haven't had one, hadn't had one since uh, New Testament times, essentially. Uh, and, and so for them, they were, they were immigrating, emigrating, I'm not sure how to say this, but they were, they were moving to the new land from all over the world. Europe was full of Jews. Uh, Eastern Europe, Russia, all of these countries, um, are, are, there are Jews moving. It is, it is certainly an eclectic group of people. Um, some of them speak Hebrew. Many, maybe most of them don't. They've got to set up a constitution and a form of government, and boy, were they busy, but they were happy to be busy. Meanwhile, again, the Arab nations that surrounded them, from whom this land was taken, huh? Some of it was taken from Jordan. Some of it was taken from Syria. Some of it was taken from Egypt. All of these neighboring uh, nations that were, hey, we're taking a part of your land and giving it to this new nation of Israel. They were not happy at all. The people who lived in what is now Israel, who were not Jewish, are suddenly foreigners on their own land. It, it used to be, I mean, they own that house. They got the title, the, the deed to that house, but suddenly it's not their house anymore. So they got to bail and they got to go back. And in some cases, these countries don't want them back. They got their own problems. They can't take all these people back. Oh, we got a real mess on our hands. 
1967, the you-know-what hit the fan. There is what is now called the Six-Day War. Those surrounding nations decided, we're just not going to put up with this. Uh, And so they got together uh, and attacked Israel. They thought, okay, this little tiny country, it hasn't been around but for 20 years. We're going to put an end to this. Uh, they, did, they didn't anticipate the outcome they got. In six days, it was all over. Uh, that's why it's called the Six-Day War, not, not a hundred-year war, Six-Day War, and Israel just pushed back and, in fact, pushed out all of these um, borders further than they had ever been. They took the entire Sinai Peninsula from Egypt. They pushed all the way across uh, the... Uh, um, the center area. Now, as I'm talking, it escapes me. They pushed all the way to the Jordan River. They captured the Golan Heights. They pushed Syria out of the Golan Heights. Six days. Uh, West Bank. There you go. Uh, they they took all that back, uh, and and then there was a lot of international pressure because Israel was frankly too successful. Um, They whooped on them. And so the UN got together and said, okay, that's great that you defended yourself. That's wonderful. But you got to give some of this back. So they gave back uh, the Sinai Peninsula to Egypt. There was a big, hey, this was Jimmy Carter. This was a big deal. I'm skipping over huge parts of this. But there was a treaty uh, between uh, Israel and Egypt. It was huge. Big signing ceremony at the White House. That was a big news event at the time. They gave them the Sinai Peninsula. Well, who wants the Sinai Peninsula? Good grief. It's a land. There's nothing there. Okay. They kept the Golan Heights because I said that was a tactical advantage for Syria to lob rockets down into Israel. They never gave back the Golan Heights, and they still possess, uh, air quotes, the Golan Heights. The West Bank, they moved out of the West Bank and essentially gave that back. So... The map you look at when you do a Google search for maps is is post-British mandate, post-UN uh, Charter of 1947, creating the land of Israel, post the attack by the Arab, Arab nations, post the Six-Day War, post, okay, we got we to gotta come to an agreement here. That's what you're looking at. But don't kid yourself for a minute. Those Arab nations are not happy. They still remember what was done to them, and they think it was not uh, just not fair. And there has always been animosity between Arabs and Jews. This dates, we'll do the second half, this dates back to the Old Testament times. So things are not good. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about the people in those lands. Let's move on. We got to keep moving here. In Israel, it's pretty easy, right? The Jews are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the, by far the hugest percentage of who lives in Israel is people who, and, and because 1947 is, is long enough ago, many, maybe most of them are second generation. They didn't immigrate to the land of Israel. They are the descendants of those who immigrated to Israel. In some cases, they are descendants of survivors of the Holocaust. So, however, there are within Israel uh, non-Jewish. There are Arab residents in Israel who have lived there because, remember, this land was taken away. They stayed there. Uh, They were Jordanians or they were Syrians or they were Egyptians, and they stayed there. They decided they were going to tough it out, and they, in many cases, became citizens of the nation of Israel. Uh, When I was a, a student at Grace Bible College, uh, we had, was I a student or a prof? I think I was a student. I, it all runs together. Anyhow, we had an Arab guy there, a student who was Arab, but was 
a resident. I said citizen. I'm not sure he was a citizen. I'm not sure they allow Arabs to be citizens. I may have misspoken there. Anyhow, his family had lived in Israel for generations and generations. So there are non-Jewish people living in Israel. There are Jewish, I'm sorry, there, were, there are Arab Israelis is the correct term. There are other uh, non-citizen, non-Jewish residents who have moved there. There are very, very strict rules about, uh, for example, a, a Swede wants to move to Israel. Very strict rules in order for them to live there. And, and those rules only get more and more strict. But that's who lives in Israel. You could basically say the Jews live in Israel, and, and it is such a large percentage of the whole that you would be correct. Now, in that little area that is down in the left-hand corner, the Gaza Strip, that's where things start to get interesting. That's where the Palestinians live. Interestingly enough, the word Palestinian is a derivative of the word Philistine. They are not the descendants of Philistine, but when it is called the land of Palestine, it is being called the land of the Philistines because in the Old Testament, there were various Canaanite nations, the Canaanite people, the Amorites, the uh, just, well, you know, all the ites, right, that lived there when the Jews moved in under Joshua. All of those were called Philistines, were called Canaanites, but it was, uh, the land was called Palestine. It was the land of Philistia because Philistia was by far the strongest, not the biggest, but the dominant nation in all of uh, what we now call Israel. Huh? All of the land the 12 tribes took, the Philistines were by far the strongest, most powerful. They were the most advanced. They had, de they had moved into the Iron Age well before any of the other nations, which is why they had swords that they could use in battle instead of spears and arrows. Anyhow, that's where the word uh, Philistines come from. And the Gaza Strip is populated by Philistine, by Palestinians. Same thing, right? Okay, now, where did the Palestinians come from? And the conventional wisdom until quite recently was that they are a combination of Egyptians and Jordanians and Syrians and, 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 all these surrounding nations. And, and probably some Bedouins from back in the day, all of this kind of mixture of However, then along comes 23andMe. Then, then comes along genome testing. And what they've discovered is, yes, to a large extent, that's the case. However, it, they can be traced back to the Canaanites of Old Testament times. Now, how they got a cheek swab from somebody in Old Testament times, I have no idea. But if you look now, in fact, there were three apparently major studies of the genome of Palestinians in Gaza and in the West Bank, and they, they realized what we've got is a direct link to the Canaanites of Old Testament times. Fascinating to me uh, to read that. Okay, now very quickly, because we're running out of time for episode uh, part one here, the problem. Gaza, I, I, I should have written down the exact, it is roughly the same size as the city of Philadelphia. It contains over 2 million people. It is considered one of the most densely populated areas on earth. And since 2007, Israel and Egypt have both blockaded Gaza. That is to say, you have to pass through a gate to leave Gaza and go into either Egypt or Israel. Uh, 
53% of the population of the Gaza Strip, 53% of 2 million people, that's a lot of people, live below the poverty line. Property line, good grief. Live below the poverty line. There is a 40% unemployment rate. Almost 50% of the population of Gaza is under the age of 20. You've got a bunch of unemployed, poor, young adults who are furious. But wait, there's more. All of their water, all of their electricity, all of their fuel, the gasoline and everything else that they need for daily life comes from Israel. Israel controls the spigots, and they are there living in abject poverty, many of them. Uh, The majority of them are considered food insecure, and they live at the mercy of Israel. Uh, because the spigot can be turned off for all of those things. The lights go out at night because Israel turns off the power. And so if they have batteries, they can use them. Otherwise, they live in the dark. Can you blame them for being angry? And it is in this context that Hamas arises. So here we are at the end of part one. In part two, we're going to talk about Hamas. We're going to talk about what has happened, uh, why it has happened, Um, And then take a look at some biblical passages that will, I hope, allow us to look at this conflict through a biblical lens. So there you have it, huh? I hope to see you back in part two. 